0: 20. Thank you to Rent and for the reckoning for opening us up here today on this brand new platform live via Streamyard on YouTube. I am so very very proud to welcome you guys to a new beginning here on Brandon's World. This is going to be our setup for the next three to four months. Every Friday. Now, today with a special start time uh, due to I had an appointment that I had to make at 10 a.m. today. Uh, next week will be a 10 a.m. start time, as usual, 10 a.m. to noon, every Friday. We are going to be on this platform discussing the latest in sports, and we're also going to be taking a different direction. Obviously, being on YouTube here and not being on an actual radio network, I feel like we can kind of expand our platform a little bit. And by that, I mean, we're going to be covering a little bit more election stuff. We're going to on my good buddy, Luke Silka, today. Luke lives in Georgia. And obviously, the great thing about, you know, being remote and doing all this stuff and Zooming and Microsoft Teams and all that is you can connect with people so much easier. I'm so thankful for the technology we have today. But yeah, I'm going to be bringing on Luke today. We're going to be going over current events obviously a lot of stuff has happened in the world funny enough when i was planning this show on wednesday you know i i wrote everything out i was gonna start off with you know here's why the lakers corporate series is going to be for the nba championship and well it still probably is and then you know i got the news about the boycott in the nba which we're gonna talk about in a minute. Really quickly before we start, I want you guys to see this here. This is one of the coolest things about StreamYard is we can add banners so you can see Welcome to the Show. That can scroll off the bottom. You can also see here that you guys can follow the show. You can tweet me at Real underscore B and go to my Facebook page at Real Brandon's World to follow the conversation. You guys can also log in with your YouTube accounts and go to the comment section comment and stuff. I will be replying to comments either on air or in the comment section during commercial breaks. This is going to be a lot more interactive than what we've ever been before just because of the technology. And ladies and gentlemen, you guys know that over the past five months, I have not done a show. The last show i done was March. I believe it was March the 5th. Uh, On March the 12th, I was supposed to do a show. I just looked at it the other day. It was all planned out. My good buddy Andrew Backer was going to come on. And we were going to talk about Giannis and LeBron and going into the playoffs. And then, boom, the whole world shut down. And that's when we had to buy things like sanitizers. We had to wear things like masks, as you can see right here. Everybody, please make sure you're wearing your mask and doing your part. Make sure you're staying socially distant. I will say since I've been back at Kent State, uh, I got to admit, man, I was not totally sure about Kent State's protocols. I will admit that. Uh, I wasn't totally sure it was going to work, but, you know, being around campus a little bit outside, to be honest, is definitely less safe than being inside of me. At least inside, you have the social distance markers. They're, you know, enforcing everybody wearing masks and stuff like that outside you know, when I see people outside, they've basically been taking their masks off, and not a lot of people have been wearing them. So make sure to please wear your mask at all times to stop the spread of COVID-19. And with that being said, we are going to try to get through this. You know, there may be a time or two where I have to move time slots. So for that, we can be flexible because, again, with the technology we have, and the one thing I will say about podcasting users so if you are a podcast user, if you do not listen to this show live on YouTube, that is okay. On my podcasting links are below. Well, you can check us out on Anchor, Google Play, Spotify, and iTunes. With that being said, the podcast version of the show will be uploaded on Saturdays. That's just because of StreamYard. The way StreamYard is, it will not let you kind of access it and download the file. Until about 12 hours the next day, unfortunately. So with that being said, I will come um, Saturday morning. I will upload the podcasting version without the music and all that stuff to the podcasting platforms. But again, this is the place where you want to be live on YouTube.com. Brandon's World here every Friday from 10 a.m. to noon. With that being said, we do have a new era, but we are going to go back next week because next week what's going to happen is it is the two year anniversary of brandon's world yes the two year anniversary you guys remember last year we did the one year anniversary of celebrating us on the black squirrel radio network we celebrated that obviously you know in late september when we started and then that coincided with smackdown's debut on fox this is the two year anniversary of the actual show my first ever youtube exclusive show i did was September third, two thousand eighteen. We're going to celebrate a day later, September fourth, two thousand twenty. Right here on this channel, we're going to have multiple guests, including my buddy Andrew Backer. Now that will not be live. That will be a pre-recorded interview that I will have up and ready for you guys. But yeah, with that being said, I say, man, let's get right into this. And what do we have on the docket today? Oh, well, the obvious, ladies and gentlemen we got to start talking about stuff that's happening in our country. You guys see, you know, everybody saw the video of the shooting of Jacob Blake. Everybody knew what happened this summer with George Floyd. You know, everything that's going on in the sports world, you know, it does make you stop and think, uh, but I'm not going to lie. I'm going to say it right here, right now. Uh, I was pretty ticked off at the NBA's decision to you know, boycott the games Wednesday, Thursday, and now Friday. They're obviously going to continue today. And my take on this is, like, okay, the whole reason you went down to the bowl, the whole reason was to promote social justice. And we've seen it with the patches, the names on the jerseys, the Black Lives Matter symbol on the court. That's the whole reason why this bubble took place, because the NBA owners, Adam Silver, and the players weren't sure We're going to be talking about social justice. We're going to be doing these things. And then the shooting, as we know, happened on Monday. So my question, I'm going to ask Luke this, why did it take until Wednesday? Why Wednesday? Why didn't we boycott the games on Monday? Why didn't we boycott the games on Tuesday? Why did it take Wednesday? And what led the Bucs to make that decision? I know it happened in Wisconsin, but as a journalist and as an interviewer, you know, I, I would really just ask them, you know, hey, Milwaukee, why today? Why today? And then to the other NBA players, if the Bugs did not boycott the game, would you still boycott of the game? Would Houston know KC yet? Because the Magic were planning on playing a game. And in my opinion, sports is the ultimate healer and sports is the ultimate platform. These athletes now are so much more aware than they were back in the day when it comes to social justice and using their platform. So, you know, use it. We can't boycott the season. The whole reason why you went down there is to ensure that your platform is going to be heard. We're all paying attention. We see the Black Lives Matter logo on the court. We see the patches. We see the names on the back of your jerseys. But I got a question for a lot of people here. Does it register? Because I know a lot of, let's say, the left, I think it's more registering to them. I think the far right, I don't know if it's really registering. And you know what? The NBA may not care. They're losing a lot of viewers. They may not care, but I do think that this hurt them going forward. Because the hardcore conservative fans that were still watching the NBA, we know there's a lot of NFL fans that didn't watch because of the flag situation. And we're going to see how that turns out in a couple of weeks when the NFL season kicks off, hopefully with all this COVID stuff. But again, you know, it's, it's a crazy time in this country. And let me just say this. I think we need to listen to everybody. I think we need to listen to Democrats. I think we need to listen to Republicans. And I think we need to listen to independents. Now, I have my own thoughts. I have my own political thoughts. But I do think that we need to listen to everybody, because I do think everybody, even if we think some politicians and some people in this you know, world right now are crazy. Uh, a lot of people think everybody's crazy. But I think that we do need to listen to them. We need to listen to what they have to say, because I think they make good points on both sides of the aisle. And I have said this for a long ass time. I said, you know, when I first started social media in 2011, I was real excited, man. Facebook was the hot thing, then Twitter came about. But as you grow up and as you get older, I have learned this. I have learned that flat out social media is the reason why we have so much division in this country today. Social media should be used as a platform for your personal brand. And I completely agree with that. It's one of the reasons why over the last couple of years I've really tried to clean up my act on social media, why I've really tried to post meaningful things, even if it's still my own personal opinion. You know, even if I'm promoting my own personal agenda, my own beliefs, my own political beliefs, I still try to, you know, not curse and do all that. I I try to remain calm and I try to give reasonable points. And let me just say this. I can argue with you all day, right? We all love sports, we all love politics, it's a crazy time in this country. But social media folks will never allow us to get back to the way it was. You know why? Because there's always bots sitting at the computer going, you're wrong! Or you're right, you're and it's just constant fighting. Where we can't go, yeah, I disagree with your opinion, however, here's the difference. I respect your opinion. See, there's a difference between this. Yeah, well, I guess, blah, yeah, blah, 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 I'm going, look, I may not agree, we may not agree on a lot of things, but will that affect our friendship? No. You know, I, I know people, you know, even in family, I know politics is huge on family. You know, relationships may be strained. I have not felt that case in my family. We disagree on politics, but we just don't talk about it. We disagree on the sports of it, we bicker or it. we let it go, we hug it out. That's family, that's relationships. And social media, you don't have that, man. It just gives people too much power. They're like, they don't know. Who I am, they don't know who I am. I'm just gonna type away and bam. Folks, it's the wrong approach. I've always said, please think before you type. I have learned that it will go a long way. Believe me, there's been tweets I wanted to send out that I haven't sent out. Believe me on that. And I think a lot of people feel the same way. Look, you can get entrapped in social media. Social media, to me, is a great place for news. It's a great place for stuff when you're learning about a training camp, when it comes to the Browns, and of course, my Philadelphia Eagles, or when you want to learn about breaking news, when something breaking happens. I think Twitter's a great place for breaking news. It was my place to go when Kent State shut this university down five months ago. But you also have to be careful. You can have a Twitter account that never tweets. That's probably a good option. You know what, just follow who you want to follow, never tweet, never say your opinion, and you can enjoy social media. But when it gets toxic, man, please, 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 when it gets toxic, please just take a break, step back. You guys know I always take a social media hiatus once a year, you know, for the playoffs or whether it's a couple days, just to relax, just to get my mind cool, cleared, excuse me, and we're ready to roll. And yeah, I'm, I'm really excited though. I will say this, um, I am weary on whether or not I'm going to watch the NBA tonight. Because there is one game that I really want to see. And that game is lakers Clippers in the Western Conference Finals. To me, the Lakers and Clippers are the two best teams in the West. And there is no there's no arguing that, in my opinion. You can try to argue it, like I said before, I'll listen to it. But in my opinion, it's going to be the Lakers and Clippers. And what's amazing to me about the Lakers is, folks, the Lakers are terribly built, okay? They are absolutely terribly built. They have LeBron James, they have Anthony Davis, and the rest is, who are you, who are you, who are you, who are you, who are you? Like, that's the team. JaVale McGee could be the third leading scorer one night. It could be Kyle Kuzma. Kyle Kuzma drives me nuts, man. That guy can't make a basket. Can Davies Carwell, Pope, I want that guy cut right now. And Frank Bogle doesn't know how to manage his rotations. Uh, with that being said, you know, I do think you need to cut it down. I think you need to get Dwight Howard, Kyle Kuzma, and like a Rajon Rondo when he comes back, or Dion Waiters off the bench. There's your eight guys. Boom, your starting five is... You know, Danny Green, Alex Caruso, in my opinion, needs to be in the starting lineup over KCP. LeBron, AD, Javel McGee, your bench is Dwight Howard, Kyle Kuzma, and then either Dion Waiters, Ray John Rondo, or you could even throw Pope in there if you really wanted to. But I think you need to go AD. Now, everybody was telling me, oh, my God, the Blazers, they shot to beat the Lakers. And I said, pause. Who do the Blazers have to stop LeBron James? And you guys said, Naked and the whiteside and then can vote Gary Trent and Carmelo. Um did you see what Kyle Kuzma that bunk Kyle kuzma did in orchids? He just took them out because you cannot switch a big guy and a small guy. I never understood why Houston wants to do this. I never understood the logic behind this. We need to play small ball. No, play big ball. Look at what Denver did when they were injured. Look at Bo Bo, man, and I told you guys specifically Bo Bo was going to be a great NBA basketball player. He's looking like it, man. Bo Bo would be my perfect center, but that's a little bit off topic, folks. LeBron will destroy these players if he wanted to. We saw it on the Saturday game in Game Three. We saw it in Game Four on Monday when LeBron wants to attack. There is nobody on the Portland Trail Blazers that can stop him. And by the way, there's only one person on the Houston Rockets that can stop him. His name is P.J. Tucker, and they have nobody to guard Andy Davis. So good luck with that. OKC has nobody to stop LeBron either, but at least they have Steven Adams to protect the paint. Uh, but the Clippers, the Clippers have multiple guys to stop LeBron James, okay? Luka Doncic is amazing. We know that. But the Clippers are going to end up beating Dallas in six or seven. We also know that. Uh, They're going to end up beating Utah or Denver, and the Lakers and Clippers should be to the Western Conference Finals. The Clippers were meant. They were built to beat one team, and that's the Los Angeles Lakers. They have Marcus Morris. They have Paul George. They have Patrick Beverly. They have number two, Kawhi Leonard. They have have Montrez Harrell. That's five guys at least off the top of my head. That they could throw at LeBron James. And by the way, Harold and Zubans can guard Anthony Davis. So it's a bad matchup for the Lakers. But what do the Lakers have? They have championship DNA. They got LeBron James, the most single greatest clutch player in my generation. Now I know what you guys are going to say. The Clippers have number two. Yes, but number two, by the way, LeBron James are in the same boat. Because both have... You know, number two has two championships, LeBron has three. But both are looking to win their third championship with three different franchises. Both have a co-star you cannot trust. Can you really trust Paul George or Skip Bayless calls him George Paul? Can you really trust Andy Davis or Skip Bayless calls him all done in the big moments, the big game, the fourth quarter? No, I don't think so. So, yes, do the Clippers have a lot more depth than the Lakers? Yes. Do they have the better coach? Yes. Everything on paper sets up for this to be the fantastic seven-game series in the NBA Finals, in the Western Conference Finals, because we don't know who's going to get out of these. We don't know if it's going to be Milwaukee. We don't know if it's going to be Boston. We don't know if it's going to be Toronto. And ain't certainly going to be Philadelphia. I'm going to give it to them in about 90 seconds. But... In my opinion, the Lakers and Clippers are going to be for the NBA title because the Bucks don't have anybody to stop either team. The Raptors don't. The Raptors know number two, but they're just the Clippers are the better team. Boston, they have some nice pieces, but they're not better than the Clippers or or the Lakers. These have been the two best teams all year. They're on a collision course, and if the NBA stops boycotting and we can get through the second round, this is your money series. They should take this off TNT. Put it on ABC and give TNT the Eastern Conference Finals. This will get more views than the NBA Finals if it was on ABC. Obviously, it's not. It's going to be on TNT, so the Eastern Conference Finals on ESPN and the Finals will get more. But this is your money series. Never before have two teams been the overwhelming favorite to win the NBA championship. Look, the Cavs were good. The Cavs were a great team. So were the, so the Warriors and Rockets. People would debate. Obviously, Golden State, we knew, would beat the Cavs. But it would be like, well, if Houston by the Cavs, we don't know if Houston will win or if the Cavs will win. This is like the Lakers and Clippers both win. They're both walking out Otherwise, the West champions. Nobody's picking the East, which may give the East an advantage. But I got the Lakers and the Clippers. If whoever wins this series will move on to the NBA finals, and win the championship. All right, I want to switch gears real quick to uh, everybody's favorite team, the Philadelphia 76ers. So as we know, Brett Brown got fired, after the team got swept Sunday by the Boston Celtics. But ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, did Brett Brown really deserve to get fired? Let me ask you a question, okay? When the Sixers were working with their tanking process, right, they had bad drafting. They had Michael Carter-Williams, and they add Joel Okafor. Those were two terrible draft picks. So in 2015, they ended up getting Joel b He got hurt for a year, so they ended up getting another draft pick. That's Ben Simmons. That's three to four years of bad basketball that Brooke Brown had to deal with. But since that time, the question is, did the process work? Here are the Sixers stats this season for Ben Simmons and Joel b Ben Simmons this year at 16 points on 58% shooting for a guy who can't shoot a bucket. That's pretty good. 8 rebounds, 8 assists, 2 steals. By the way, I think think that that'll work. I learned Joel Embiid this year, folks. He had 23 points on 48% of the field, 32% from 3 is a little low, but 12 rebounds, 3 assists, and 2 blocks. That will work. That is what your center is supposed to do. Now, I advocated, as you guys know, for the whole time I've been on Watch School Radio. You guys know that I advocated for the fact that the Sixers should have kept Jimmy Butler and J.J. Redick over replacing them for Al Horford and Josh Richardson. And I have some stats to back this up. So this year, Al Horford had 12 points, 45% from the field, 35% from three, seven rebounds, four assists. And you're like, okay, but what did Jimmy Butler do? Jimmy Butler last year for the Sixers at 18 points a game compared to Al Horford's 14 points a game. He shot 34% from three, which is one percent down from Horford's stats. Uh, let's see, he had five rebounds and four assists. That will work. JJ Redick last year at 18 points, 44%. from three, two rebounds, three assists. And Josh Richardson had 14 points, 43% from the field, 34% from three, three rebounds, three assists. What does all these stats mean, basically? Here's the combined difference between J.J. Redick and Jimmy Butler compared to Hal Horford and Josh Richardson. With Jimmy and J.J., the Sixers got, they gained eight more points a game with Jimmy and JJ, so with Al and Josh, they lost eight points a game. With Al and Josh, they were minus two in the field goal percentage category, minus five in the three-point percentage category, minus three rebounds a game, and there was no assist difference. But again, with those two guys gone and with the replacements you got, you lost eight points a game. That's the difference in winning and losing games. Minus two field goal percentage, minus five three-point percentage, minus three rebounds. It's just not going to cut it. In the NBA. It's not gonna cut it anywhere. And Burke Brown got down a bad hand, in my opinion, because Ben Simmons got hurt. Well, Ben Simmons, one of the most talented players I've ever seen. He reminds me of Giannis or LeBron before they could shoot, but obviously they've grown their shot. This is where Ben Simmons needs to grow. If Ben Simmons would just be willing to shoot a little bit, the Sixers would be fine. Now I know Burke Brown has you know accusations of being a soft coach. And maybe they need a change of scenery. But folks, it's not time to blow up the Philadelphia 76ers yet. It's not. Again, I think they made the biggest mistake by letting Jimmy Butler and J.J. Reddick walk and replacing them with an old Al Horford and Josh Richardson who was a way worse shooter than J.J. Redick. That's what earned their team. Because that team last year with Ben, J.J., Jimmy, Tobias, and Embiid had the Toronto Raptors with number two. Game seven ties, and number two with that miracle shot, folks. That Sixers team last year would have won the championship. They would have won the championship, okay? They would have beat the Bucks because they had the pieces and stuff, Giannis, and they would have rolled for a golden state. Because Golden State had nobody to guard Embiid and, and Clyde Thompson and Kevin Durant were hurt. That Sixers team would have won the championship, but now their coach is fired and their pieces don't fit. So, general manager Alton Brand, here's what I plead to you. Don't trade well and Beater Ben Simmons. Hire a good coach like Tyronn Wu. Give this team one more year. Fix the roster a little bit. Add a three or four, you know, traditionally, not as big as, you know, Al Horford, and a guy you've been shoot, a Jimmy butler like player, you know, a poor man, Jimmy Butler. And, you know, we're... Replace Josh Richardson, in my opinion, with a guy like J.J. Reddick who can shoot, and you'll be right there. It's not to panic in Philadelphia. I think everything will be okay. That being said, we're going to go ahead and take a break, because coming up in about four or five minutes, Luke Silver will be joining us to talk about all the current events in this world, and then stay tuned. You are listening to Brand's World here, live on a Friday. We'll be back. Alrighty, ladies and gentlemen, as you can see right here, we should have... Luke Soko, Luke, how are you, my God? How's it going?
1: It's going good. It's going great.
0: Hey, that's great. So, hey, man, let's jump into it. You know, I haven't really talked to you in a while, uh, obviously, about everything going on in the country right now. So just kind of give me your thoughts on why you do that. I'm going to plug your Twitter. You guys can see on the screen. Follow Luke at the Wolfpack4415. With that being said, yeah, Luke, just give me your thoughts on what's going on in the world right now, man.
1: Well, it's, it's definitely a, a crazy time right now that we're dealing with, um, obviously, with COVID-19, which can be debated on how that's being handled. Some people say, you know, it's not being handled the greatest. I, I tend to go on the campus side, so yeah, we could have done some, uh, situations that have, like, we could have done a better situation. We could have uh, had the sh- shutdown not affect us as much, like, we shouldn't have shut down all the businesses. I think that was a bad move, but... All in all, there's other stuff that's more important than code right now with all this um, Black Lives Matter stuff that you can agree with it. You can't agree with it, some, some of the stuff, but sometimes you have to look and look at what's happening, and a lot of stuff is going on right now. It's really, really crazy.
0: Yeah, so, you know, Luke, I said to start my show, I said, you know, one of the big things going on in this country right now is I believe social media is the worst part about this country right now. Uh, I believe that social media is the reason why we have so much division in this country, not so much politics. Everybody has agreed and disagreed on politics and sports before. But when you give people power that shouldn't be in power, and we've seen that across states, we've seen it across everywhere, and with social media, you get people who just want to wipe away and just go, you're wrong, and just saying, you know what, yeah, I disagree with you, but I can at least respect your opinion. We don't get that in this country anymore.
1: I, I really, I really think it's because people are behind the screen and they don't, they're not doing it like, like this. Like at least with this, I can see your face. If I'm telling you something, you're gonna see me, and we're gonna have a discussion. And it, it feels more real than just someone behind a Twitter screen, behind a Twitter handle that literally you don't know if it's a random bot or if it's an actual person actually saying this and. That's what it gives them a sense of protection. But come say it to my face. You want to tell me that I'm a evil, racist, bigot? You come tell me to your face. Ninety nine percent of the time, they ain't gonna do that to you.
0: Exactly. So, all right, uh, I gotta get your thoughts on this. You know, we just wrapped up the Republican National Convention last night. Obviously, we wrapped up the Democratic National Convention the week before. When you compare, uh, as our president calls him, "sleepy Joe Biden." Uh, with the president's speech and everything's going on in the world, I know that you are a big Trump supporter. Man, I, this election's going to get crazy. I mean, I, I, I'm just going to say, I know there's a lot of people right now that, that are undecided. I know a lot of people are very critical of the way that Trump's handled the coronavirus situation, but I just think these debates, man, I think once the people see the first debate and they see Joe Biden, then they go, Man, that dude really can't finish a sentence. I I think
1: it's going to be over. I I think I tweeted it very, very, very eloquently when I said the people that are excited about Joe Biden are worse off than Joe Biden himself. If you can go out there and legitimately believe in your heart that this dude can run the highest office in the land and actually competently – do that have nuclear capability at the press of a button basically that he could do that Donald Trump can do that so you have to say who do you want in there someone that is incompetent someone that can't finish your sentence someone that confused his own wife or his daughter or Donald Trump which with the past four years has proven that he will not escalate situations we just had uh Russian troops attack Us in Syria. You don't see us in a war with Syria. We're not, or in a war with Russia. Sorry. So there's a lot of uh, complications going on. A lot of people like to attack Trump. Say he's oh, he's not hard on Russia right now because of the situation. Well, I don't feel like getting in a World War Three. I I know most of the country doesn't feel like getting in a World War Three. They're just saying that to attack him on basically anything. I mean, that's really current events right now. That literally just happened, I believe, in the past couple hours. So. We'll see how that turns out but um as long as with joe biden i really i think the first debate is going to be epic this is going to be better than hillary clinton's uh debate it's going to be the best this is going to be the best thing by far because if you watch like a seven minute clip of joe biden try to speak you can literally create an ad about him not being the president like you can create an ad for trump using only joe biden it's hilarious
0: absolutely So, you know, uh, I've seen a lot of criticism, mainly from the left, about Trump's speech last night. Uh, I've seen a a lot of criticism saying that it was very low energy, uh, that he didn't have the same, you know, Trump, I guess, things that usually he has. Uh, I didn't get that. At first, I felt it a little bit, but as he started talking, I think the energy really picked up. The sense I got from his speech last night was he's angry. He's upset, um, and I know that the way he's thinking is like, man, I know my, my promise in 2016 was make America great again. And if you notice, the campaign was originally going to be keep America great until the coronavirus hit. And that's what I've been telling people that have been very critical of his 2020 campaign that's make America great again. They're saying, well, he said that in 2016, now it's not really great. And I said, well, it was great. Our country was great again until the coronavirus hit, and now we have to rebuild our country. Your
1: thoughts? I I thought the speech was really a, a good speech, and to to say that uh, like okay, so you have to compare apples to oranges here. Donald Trump's speech; it's not a teleprompter speech, like you know that from the way he he never reads off of a teleprompter. Joe Biden, just comparing it. If you watch this speech on the DNC, I don't know if you did or not, but. He's reading from a script. I mean, I mean, it, that's how you have to judge this stuff. And you have to judge that, say, yeah, he has the mental capability to read from a from a teleprompter. But does he have the mil- mental capability to be the president of the United States? I believe that uh, Donald Trump with the Make America Great Again thing, um, you go with what's not broken. If it That's what I'm saying. If it ain't broken, don't fix it. Uh, there's no reason to fix it right now. It's a great slogan. It's catchy. And... That's all that really matters to, to get people to the polls and to know what uh, Trump wants to do, and he wants to make this country great. And the people that blame him because of the coronavirus don't know what they're talking about because this dude tried to ban all um, Chinese – like uh, all Chinese visiting – people visiting from China. He tried to ban everyone before the coronavirus even happened, and they were giving him shit on that because uh, – It was from, they saw it was racist. And now they're like, oh, you didn't do enough. You didn't ban him soon enough. Well, you gotta, it's a disease. It's not like it's something that he has control over. I don't think Hillary Clinton would have done any better job. Like, that's what we're, 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 we have to measure this up. Would Hillary Clinton have done better? I think she wouldn't
0: have. Exactly. Um, You know, I think, I think part of the criticism, especially for where I'm living at in Ohio, uh, and I've seen, I'll, I'll be honest with you, man. I've seen a lot more Joe Biden signs than I did Hillary signs in 2016. Uh, in the same households that I saw Trump signs, I'm seeing Joe Biden signs. That does concern me a little bit. And I, I think it has to do with the fact that people felt like he should have been, you know, bigger on the mask mandate. He should have been doing more stuff like that to control the virus. I think that's where most of the anger is. Is with him and coming in that is they're saying okay everybody from Dr. Fauci to all these medical experts are saying wear masks we can control this virus and you're just ignoring that. Um, I,
1: really my take on that is yeah it's a, it's a, it's basically a two way sword so maybe you're experiencing um, more Joe Biden science. I don't think I've seen a Joe Biden sign. I may have seen one Joe Biden flag, but it's extremely rare. Trump has – no president in history, by the way, has parades for him. There's been endless parades. Uh, I'm in New Jersey right now, and I would think, okay, New Jersey, very, very liberal. Let me go outside, see what's going on. Dude, I can't find it a place where there ain't a Trump flag. And it's, it's crazy. It's it's really, really crazy. We'll be driving, we'll be in a boat going down the inlet and th- there'll be four, uh, there'll be hundreds of Trump flags lined up on the side. There was just a big parade out there a couple of days ago. So yeah, it's definitely like selective view. I guess you can find areas that are more Joe Biden-esque uh, going with the mask thing that you were talking about. Honestly, I don't think the mask thing is really like, uh, Yes, I, I support it in a way to where I think that if we would have done it sooner and if we would have done it like a little different than how we did, it could have worked. But you're not telling me that a child is going to wear a mask, a two-year-old is going to wear a mask and actually wear it, or some of these adults. If one person doesn't wear that mask, it's unaffected. So you can't you can't just do that over 330 million people because they're not going to listen to you unless you start literally putting guns to people's heads and saying that. But then – We have a constitution. I think that right now the coronavirus has like a 1%, I think 0.01% death ratio. The survival rate is very high, and the people that are dying are people with prior illnesses. So take it as you be. Yes, death is bad, but it's going to happen either way, and this is a major disease that we're dealing with.
0: Yeah, uh, I agree with you there. I guess now going to my next question would be about the election in general now. You know, I've I've heard some rumblings that your home state of Georgia may become more of a swing state. I've heard that about Texas as well. Are there there any states that you thought, you you know, either way, that are for sure blue, that are for sure red, that may become a swing or may change that you're keeping your eye on?
1: I'm definitely keeping my eye on Georgia. I'm definitely keeping my eye on Texas. I just want to see what happens in those states. Honestly, if Texas becomes more blue, we're kind of screwed in the way of how are we going to find another state? Like that's, that's a lot of electoral votes you're going to lose there. I don't think it's going to happen this election, but I would keep my eye on that for sure. Another state I'm going to look at is Nevada. It, Trump came close last time. Um, maybe this time he could win Nevada. Um, and New Hampshire is another state that could possibly um, win because he was very close last time. Pennsylvania is another big battleground state that you're going to look at. It's Biden's hometown, and it's going to be hard for – honestly, it's going to be hard for Trump to hold on to that because Biden has home court advantage there, but we're going to keep – hopefully, we're going to try and keep what we had in the 2016 election. we got to work on the Rust Belt. As you said, I think Ohio is – solidly in the bag just because it's went for Trump so much in 2016 and the percentage and how it went in uh, 2018 during the uh, elections that happened in 2018. I think it's on a trend to go more Republican than it usually does. It's turning into a safe red state. But as you said, Georgia has a, a higher population than most other states, even liberal states. And it's starting to swing more to the left i still think it is a republican state or republican likely i put in a likely column but it's definitely if you had the right candidate if you had a jimmy carter for example who did win it back whenever he ran um that'd be before reagan uh you could see it swing blue i mean that we're starting to see it toward these candidates just like the governor's race was very very close so i would keep an eye on those states that i mentioned
0: so, with that being said, we know Trump officially won in a landslide in 2016. I think it was 307 votes or something along that line. I, I can't decide between either it's going to be the biggest Trump landslide I've ever seen or if it's going to be very, very close. Because I, I think the debate, I really, and I said this like I said when we started this, I think the debate's going to be a big thing. But the thing I'm also worried about is the absentee ballots, and the potential mail-in voting with the coronavirus, I am a little bit worried about that because I feel like people are going to vote before the first debate. And it may make this, you know, a little bit closer than maybe we'd expect. I, I don't really know what to think.
1: I, I'm really... Honestly, I don't even think it should, I don't think you should be able to vote before a first debate. That's kind of, to me at least, that's kind of moronic because you don't even know what you're getting into. This dude we haven't seen his we know trump's policies we haven't seen biden's policies yes we've seen him as vp but he's done very 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 little uh to actually he's been in been in politics for 47 years but it's like how are you going to be as a president that's what i want to know i want to at least at least give us one debate to where we can decide then yeah it's fine but we've also seen voter fraud happen and it's a very legitimate question that trump is asking about the postal service what are you doing to protect those ballots that that we have seen him literally retweets parts where these ballots aren't even getting casted until uh, two or three months after the time that they were delivered? There, and in some cases, they were just sitting in the post office and no one was doing anything. So you got to take that into accountability. Um, I'm definitely worried about mail-in votes. Uh, I think that we have more of a enthusiasm when it comes to people going out and supporting Trump, because if you really, really like Trump, you're going to go out and vote for him, but it's a double-edged sword because if you hate him, you're going to go out and vote against him. So, you got to keep an eye on those types of things.
0: Right. Um. You know, my thing is, I think when Corona first hit, I think it took a lot of Trump's momentum a little bit because of the fact that he wasn't doing rallies. The big thing that helped Trump in 2016, I believe, are those rallies. I mean, every time I watch a rally, I want to run for a brick wall for the man. I am excited. I am ready to go out and vote for Kim. Uh, and we never really gotten that. We got one rally, and it was a really good rally. A few people got COVID from it, and then the whole rally thing kind of got shut down again. Uh, I think it's. I think it actually hurt Biden as well because he hasn't been able to do anything, and he has no idea how to even. He's been stuck in his basement for five months now, so. I mean, when you you look at this, though, it's like, do you see the same enthusiasm from Trump that you saw four years ago?
1: Well, now, since we live in such a different world because of COVID, you got to look at what is happening online. You have to look and see how many people are watching him online because that is where it counts the most. Record ratings, okay? So that's what I'm looking at when I see enthusiasm. Yeah, people are scared because of COVID, but... I still see that enthusiasm. Like I said, there's been a bunch, a bunch, a bunch of Trump rallies, like parades that I'm talking about. Like I personally witnessed a parade and it was one of the crazy, I've never seen it anything in my lifetime. There's never been a single president in history that's had a parade like Donald Trump. Literally every day, this dude has parades going on across the country. So it's kind of crazy. Uh, the people that support him love him. That's where his enthusiasm is going to come from. And you just got to think, how many people are really, really, like, honestly, really excited for Joe Biden? Not a lot of people. He didn't pick a vice president that was, uh, like, a progressive, so that's going to hurt him with the progressive community and younger base. And Kamala Harris, I don't think, was the right pick. Yes, she hits the check marks. She's a woman. She's um, African-American, I guess. I think she's Jamaican, but she's technically not African-American, but we can debate that again but it's just you have to look at enthusiasm whose base is more enth- enthusiastic and I think it's Trump's
0: right uh okay so let's move on because we got our 10 minutes left I want to talk to you a little bit about the NBA and the NFL uh for the NBA specifically when you see you know, the names on the back of these guys' jerseys. When you're watching the, the, the games, you see the Black Lives Matter on the NBA court. I mean, I, I saw your tweet the other night where you said that the NBA and ESPN are pretty much unwatchable. And I know that you, you know, as, as a Georgia guy, I know that your Hawks are, were not invited to the bubble. So have you seen any of the bubble? Have you watched the NBA? I mean, what's your whole take on it? All right,
1: so I've paid... Very minimal attention to the bubble. I've watched games. I've watched uh, the Lakers. I've watched, uh, I think, the Jazz. I, I've watched a couple of teams in there. I just can't. I can't when ESPN talks twenty four seven political propaganda. Even if, if even if you agreed with them, let's say I was the, a complete leftist and I agreed with them all the way. It's the same stuff over and over and over again. You got to lose your mind and. And then on the court is worse. They, they, if they would award that stuff for like the first game, like baseball did, and then it goes. This is supposed to be a place where politics doesn't come here. And the fact that they are using this as like, oh, you won't, you're not going to be distracted by this. We're going to shove this in your face every twenty four seven. I think is a very big mistake. They're going to lose a lot of fans because of this. And honestly, it hurts them because I, I think their attendance was down in the first place. And having this much politics inside of this does not help them. Um, Hopefully the NFL won't go down this path to where they're actually allowing them to put that on their jerseys. I think that's also another dumb move that they just plaster everything on the court and act like it's okay. Um, Personally, I don't agree with it. I don't think it's a good idea, but it's not up to me. It's always, as always, it's up to the big wigs that apparently – care so much about the Black Lives Matter community that they won't do anything about it, but say that they will.
0: Right. Well, I said this, you know, I'm not a huge fan of it, but I understand why they did it. And, you know, if they're going to continue this message, then to me, that's the whole reason why you went down this bubble. You said you were only going to go down the bubble if you were insured you know, your social justice advocates or however you want to put it. And then what happened on Wednesday was just absurd. I mean, it's like you went down to this bubble to use your platform. Now you're saying that platform's not enough and now you want to come back? Like, I I don't get the messaging. And the shooting happened on Monday. Why are we waiting until Wednesday? Why are we waiting till Wednesday?
1: Why why are we acting like this that jacob blake who was the person who was involved in the prison, was a hero when actually he was being arrested on a rape charge let's let's put it how it is yep, yep you're right you're right and the fact that everyone is acting like oh he was so innocent and he wasn't doing anything wrong he was being arrested for a rape charge he did not co- cooperate with the arrest he was starting to leave the arrest they tased him, shrugged off the taser. Oh, but I thought we couldn't, I thought we had to use the unlethal, ob, uh, unlethals on them. It doesn't work. That's why we don't use unlethal weaponry on people. It's because it doesn't work, as you saw uh, with Jacob Blake. Then he starts leaving, enters his car. As you can see, he's reaching into the driver's side to pick up what we now know was a knife. If I'm that cop, obviously I'm not going to let him get close enough to stab me. He has the authority to put rounds on him. The reason he shot seven rounds is because you are trained. I'm in the, I'm in the Coast Guard. You are trained to stop the threat. You are trained to eliminate the threat. You're not trained to just put one shot in his leg and maybe he's okay. And we're going to see what's going to happen. No, because it doesn't work like that you are trained to stop the threat immediately. No matter their race, color, creed, white people are treated the same as black people in this country when it comes to police officers. It just happens to be the fact that black, blacks commit more crimes than white people. It, it's, it's, it might sound right I say it like that, but it's the truth.
0: It's a fact. All right, well, I, I want to ask you a football-related question. I know we have talked to any football at all, but let's actually get to a football-related question here. We're Patriots, man. You know, there's no Tom Brady anymore. Spoiler alert for those of you that are going to stick around for the last part of the segment. I am doing my best NFL over under for the each division this year. Man, they got New England at nine and a half wins. I don't even see how they get six wins. I mean, I'm just being honest, man. I'm not trying to be disrespectful or anything. But your team, I don't care who the quarterback is. You do not have anybody that can separate one-on-one physically, and you lost a lot of defensive players this year because of opting out. I just think New England's going to be like, you know what, we're going to play hard. We're going to win a couple games. We're going to see where we go. We're going to retool this thing. I just, I don't see it. I think third or fourth play's the best in the NFCs East. I, I don't see it this year. I don't.
1: Um. I, I honestly, I don't know how to take it right now. I, I, I really don't because I know I trust in Belichick. Uh, do I trust in Cam Newton? Not really. I trust that maybe Belichick will work with him to get him in the system. and He, he could shine. Uh, I think the defense stayed the same mostly, so I don't really see the defense changing. And we had one of the better defenses in the league last year. The only reason why Tom Brady was able to make it um, to the playoffs was because his defense was on fire most of the year. Uh, we saw his offense. He didn't have any weapons. Nikhil Harry was hurt, though. We had a lot of people hurt, offensive line that was hurt, and um, some of those guys are going to be coming back. But I do see what you're saying. It's going to be tough for us to have a winning season, but you have to think we are in a weaker division, so maybe that could play to our advantage. Yeah, but,
0: okay, so I want to quickly here. Let me see if I can mind. Here we go. Here's your guys' schedule, okay? your Your first ten games, Miami at home, at Seattle, home against Las Vegas, at Kansas City, home against Denver, San Francisco, at Buffalo, at the Jets, hosting Baltimore, and at Houston. I mean, to me, it is the toughest schedule by far in the NFL, and I can see maybe three to four wins out of those first ten games. That's it. I mean, you're not going to go to Seattle and win, in my opinion. You're not going to go to Kansas City and win, in my opinion. I don't think you can beat San Francisco at home. I think Buffalo is much more improved. I don't think you can beat Baltimore, and I don't think you can beat Houston. I think that sits automatic losses.
1: Um, I, I, I can personally see us beating Houston. In the, that's the only one of you said that I could personally see it going a 50-50 chance, not a 50-50, but more of a chance of a them than not. I mean, to
0: me, from from what I've seen, Deshaun Watson has played you guys twice. You guys are one-on-one against Deshaun Watson. But each time, Deshaun Watson has lit New England up. And now this time, it's without Tom Brady. Maybe by week 10, you guys will get the offense going. But it is in Houston. It is in a dome. The weather's not going to matter. Now, Houston doesn't have DeAndre Hopkins anymore but they still have guys like Kenny Stowers and Brandon and those guys that are kind of B-plus receivers. Look, I'm not saying Houston's a good football team. I just think they're better than New England.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, they got rid of uh, Hopkins, so you got to just think that's going to take away a lot of their firepower. But honestly, I do think that they are a better football team than New England right now. Um, I think a lot of teams are. Uh, I, I don't think getting rid of Brady was a good idea. I think with that situation, it was mostly Belichick's fault because – He was trying to think, oh, I can win without Brady. Brady was like, no, you can't. Uh, Unless you give me this contract, I'm going to go to Tampa Bay. I think Tampa Bay is the team to watch. Honestly, um, if Tom Brady wins a championship in Tampa Bay, it's in the bag. He'd be the greatest quarterback of all time. No one's going to argue if he wins in Tampa Bay because then he did it without Belichick. So there's a couple teams to watch. Do I think that Tampa Bay is the best team in the league? Uh, I don't know. Honestly, Kansas City's pretty freaking good. I, mean, I
0: don't think Tampa Bay is even the best team in their division. I think, you know, this. this I, have, the Saints confuse me. One year the Saints are going to collapse. I'm, it's coming. It is coming. One of these years, I predicted it for the last three years, the Saints are collapsing one of those years. But I'm just like, I, I look at the team and I'm like, oh, they still got Drew Brees, they still got Michael Thomas, they got Emmanuel Sanchez, they got Cam Jordan, they got Malcolm Jenkins. I mean, like, this team is good, but they're not that good. But yet, they win games every year.
1: Yeah, I, the the Saints are always a team that mind boggles me because one year you think, oh, they're not going to do good. They don't. They do great. One year, oh, this team is going to go all the way. What happens? They don't. They're much.
0: seven and nine. So, it's like, so, yeah. I I will say this. I think think early in the year this year, because of COVID, hopefully we get the whole season in. But I think early in the year, because of no training camp, because of no preseason, because of all that, coaching, the better coaching matchup, and again, you give me Belichick against most of these coaches, if it's an even match on paper, I'm going to take New England, just because of the coaching, especially early in the year. Miami week one, I think you could almost put that as an automatic W for New England. Even though Miami is improved you got got at week one coming out, more experience. He's going to know what he's doing. That, I mean, like you have to take that into account. The first four weeks of the season, which is usually, you know, preseason and training camp and all that, is going to be coaches versus coaches more than team versus team, in my opinion.
1: I'm, uh, well, I think because of COVID, it actually makes that e- even more because these players are not going to – you really think uh, – uh, Troy is going to uh, – Tolova, I think that's his last name. you really think he's going to come out and wow everyone uh, in his first game in the NFL? No, he's going to go out there to a rude awakening. He's going to go out to a hard uh, New England defense. And I, I think that – I don't think that he's going to have the best outing in the first couple of games. He might have a better season as he progresses. I don't think he's going to come out like um, Baker Mayfield. I don't think he's going to come out like uh, – the Arizona quarterback, I, I honestly, I don't think that he's going to be this big star like Patrick Mahomes. I think that a lot of these players are going to – a lot of these rookies are going to struggle this year because of COVID. They don't have that preseason. They don't have that training that's coming up, and it's going to hurt them. It's going to be a lot of weight on the shoulder – on weight on the coaches, and it's going to be – really, we're going to see – who made the right coaching decisions this year? Like, who got new coaches? Uh, can the Browns do better this year with their new head coach? It's just a lot of that's going to be coaching decisions.
0: I agree. All right. Hey, Luke, I got to run. Thank you for talking with, with me, my man. Hey, we'll anytime. I'm sure we'll be chatting closer to the election season.
1: Can't wait. It's going to be fun. All the time, all the time. Thank you for having me on.
0: Thank you. No problem. You guys make sure you follow Luke on Twitter at the Wolfpack4415. We'll be back. Friends World after this. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you know, just, welcome back here to Brandon's World of the 10th, hour 2 on this Friday, August 28, 2020. A reminder, ladies and gentlemen, that we are back here on StreamYard for the semester. And as I said at the top of the show, man, I'm really excited to be back again. Shout out to Luke Silka. Thank you, Luke, for coming on discussing political events with us, and as well as New England with us. I'm Brady, man. It's going to be a wild, wild next couple months in sports. That being said, yes, we are back. And if you missed it, as I said of the, the show, if you guys are listening to our podcast and platform, you guys are listening to this on the next day. Obviously, this is a special start on the day of 2 p.m. Eastern. Usually, we will be here on StreamYard at YouTube.com world every Friday from 10 a.m. to noon. With that being said, you can follow the show on Twitter at Real underscore B World and Facebook at Real Brandon's World. With that being said, ladies and gentlemen, any week ago, our number two today. We have to go over the Cleveland sports scene because I have yet to talk about the Indians, the Browns, and, of course, the Cowboys faith with the draft lottery. So I'm going to start with the best team and um, the best well-run team down the Cleveland Indians. And if you guys miss my column, that will be linked down below. The columns come out every Friday on median.com. It gets epic, and I write about it. And the topic this week was the Indians to trade or not to trade. Mike Clevenger and Zach, please Zach, following their refusal to follow their refusal, excuse me, to follow COVID-19 guidelines with the team, we saw Clevenger come out on Wednesday night for six innings, give up two runs. He looked pretty decent, increased his trade value, and you know, here's my thing, right? The Indians are third in ERA in the majors at 135. They have the third best bullpen ERA in the majors. The Indians pitching staff is unbelievable. We know about Pleasad and Clevenger. We know about Shane Bieber, the, co- the clear ace of the staff. He leads the MLB with 75 strikeouts. The next closest is with 60, and he leads with six wins on the season. Excuse me. Um, and, you know, we know about Bieber. We know about Clevenger. We know about Plisac, We know about Carrasco. We know about Aaron Zavali, We know about Adam Polko. We know the Indians have all these stars. You guys know, and I've always said this, pitching always wins in baseball. It does not matter how good of a power hitting lineup you have. If you do not have good pitching, you are not going to be able to win a World Series. So I am, you know, I wouldn't be against the Indians trading my carmager. However, if you can get a big power inning bat with control, and he's an outfielder. We had to specify he needs to be an outfielder. Because look at this Indians outfield right now, man. Bradley Zimmer. Oscar mercado They were sent down to Lake County. But along with DeLando DeShields and Domingo Santana, they combined, the four injured combined, are hitting 163. Honestly, that just won't cut it. Roberto Perez is hitting below 100. I know he's only played in a few games because of injury. But hitting below 100 will not cut it. Um... You know, you have to get a bat. I heard Grisham from San Diego could be an option. I heard getting caught Frazier back could be an option from the Yankees. The Indians are going to have to find a way to get an outfield bat with control. The Indians' pitching staff is amazing. Their bullpen is amazing. The Indians are set up for the future here. The Cesar Hernandez deal was a great deal. The outside of the order are really good. Cesar, Jose. Lindor, Von Fonmiel Reyes. You can move them a little bit around. You know, you could have Cesar, and then Santana and then Jose, and then Lindor. However you want to do it. Because I do think that other of the line, I don't to be around. Because the Indians, in half their games this season, have only scored more than two runs 15 times. So, half their games, they scored two runs or less. That won't cut it. The bottom of the order, as I mentioned, the outfielders, along with Roberto Perez, have been absolute garbage. Now since Aaron naquin has been back, he's hitting over 300. He's the one to buy that right field spot. It looked like to me, Delano DeShields Shields is, you know, getting that center field opportunity. So now left field, you know, you gotta, you know, maybe if you get a right fielder, maybe Naquin plays left field. You gotta, you gotta work with it. Roberto will get back up to speed. He's the best defensive catcher in the game. I am not, you know, worried about Roberto Perez. What I am worried about is the 163 batting average between Zimmer Mercado, who, as I said, are not sent down, and the Shields and Domingo. But, as I said, man, you know, we know Mike Clevenger could make a traitor. We know he's with some feathers in the locker room. I wouldn't be totally against it as long as you can get... Something in return that's big. You got to get more than an outfielder. You got to get another relief pitcher or another prospect that you can develop. Because Mike Covinger is a stud starting pitcher. If he was still here for Monday, I would be surprised, but I would almost support it. And if the Indians want to go ahead with this outfield in the postseason, season, because they are going to make the postseason, season, it's going to be the Indians, the White Sox, and the Twins and the AL Central all making the postseason, season. The AL Central is arguably the strongest division in baseball this year. If you can believe that in this crazy season, but they got to get about with control because these outfielders, in my opinion at least, are not going to cut it. In order to win a World Series, you need great pitching, great bullpen, and timely hitting. I said, "E is timely hitting," and you know, Naquin. I trust. Like I said, the first six now with Jose, Cesar, Lindor, Santana, Ramirez, Naquin. Those six I trust, I think Roberto will come around, but seven guys you trust. Eight and nine, those two other outfielders, you got to just find somebody who, when, the, when there's a one-on-second base with either two outs or less than two outs, can get that key base hit. All right, so let's move on to the Browns. Uh, the Browns have had a lot of injuries. As we know, Grant Delbert went down, Greedy Williams went down, Mac Wilson went down, among others. Um, and we know the Browns have Malcolm Smith. Now, the linebacker position is by far the weakest position on the Browns roster. And there is a reason for that, ladies and gentlemen. Because most of these teams, right? Most of the teams nowadays in the NFL are playing nickel and dime defense. And what does that mean? That means they are playing either one or two linebackers. So, Matt Wilson was going to be that guy. Now, it's going to be presumably Malcolm Smith. But... You know, really, the Browns' defensive front with Olivier Vernon, you know, Sheldon Richardson, uh, you, you know, Miles Garrett, those three guys, the Browns should be able to get after the quarterback. And if they can do that, and the injuries in the secondary and the linebacking core won't matter. But if they cannot get after the quarterback, excuse me, if I'm going to put this on the screen, the current state of the Browns, if they cannot get after the quarterback, then they're just going to get picked apart all day. It doesn't matter how good your secondary is if you cannot get after the quarterback. That's the old key. Now, I know there's been rumblings of Ron Browns fans that they should um, get Earl Thomas. I disagree with that. As good of a player as as Earl Thomas is, man, look, I mean, you got him, you know, he didn't work out with John Harbaugh or Pete Carroll. I mean, those are two. Pete Carroll is one of the nicest coaches in the league, so is John Harbaugh. Pete Carroll, I don't think he's a great head coach, but he's one of the best defensive teachers in the National Football League. If you don't work with those two coaches, I don't know who you're going to work with. Uh, Earl Thomas seems like a prom. Apparently, he was a prom on a 14-2 Ravens team. That Ravens team is going to be pretty darn good. Uh, And, you know, here's the other thing. You know, Kevin Stefanski is a rookie head coach. As much as Stefanski has impressed me with the way he's conducted his press conference and his mannerisms, Kevin Stefanski, at the same time, is a rookie head coach. He's what Freddie Kitchens was last year. He's going to have to learn how to manage all these wounds. I think Alex Van Bell is going to handle the play calling, which will take a little bit of pressure off Stefanski. But Evans Savancy is trying to, to win these guys over. And you cannot bring in locker room problems into your situation. And our new defensive coordinator, Joe Woods, is the former secondary coach of the San Francisco 49ers. So, obviously, he knows how to coach secondaries. Uh, but, you know, it's all on Baker Mayfield right now. It really is. You know, it really is all on Baker Mayfield, man. Andrew Berry... Has surrounded Baker Mayfield with Odell Beckham, Charles Landry, Rashad Higgins, David Njoku, uh Austin Uber, the kid they drafted in the fourth round of the draft. Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, Baker Mayfield has every weapon in the world to be successful this year. They got Woods at left tackle. You know, they got Padonio. They got Trevor. They got Jack Cockland now at right tackle. The Browns have fixed their offensive line. And so in my opinion, if Baker Mayfield does not have a good year this year, get rid of him. He's not a franchise starting quarterback. This Browns team should be able to make their playoffs. Their schedule is light enough. I think that they could win eight in games this season and sneak into the playoffs as a wild card because I think Baltimore is going to take the division. But this is all on Baker Mayfield. Yes, there's weak spots at linebacker. Yes, there's weak spots at the safety positions. But Baker Mayfield has every weapon in the world to be successful, and it's on him this year. With that being said, let's turn to the team that got the number fifth pick in the 2020 NBA lottery, the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, look, you know this draft with the Coward is not very solid. I think Obi Toppin out of Dayton will be their five. You know, James Wiseman's a talented center, but we don't really need centers this year, at least, because we have Drummond and we have Kevin Love, and I have Tristan Thompson might be back. But this Cavs team, let's face it, they're in a bad state. They're in a state right now where they're not trying to tank. They want to see what they have in these young kids. They don't have a for sure young kid that you know is going to be a stud, a piece. They don't know if Conlon Sexton's going to be great. They don't know if, you, you know, uh, Darius Garland's going to be great. Excuse me. We think Kevin Porter has some potential. It looks like Dylan, Dylan Weiner's a bust. But the Cavs, you know, they have Andre Drummond. They're paying him all that money. They need to cut him. They have Kevin Long. They need to trade him. They need to start over first. As I've been saying all along, tanking. Does work. Now I know they're trying to prevent hanging in the lottery, but really the T and the Warriors got lucky and the Cavs just got screwed. And the Cavs have all that talent and they were still the second worst team in the NBA this year. Keep that in mind. Uh you know, they're they're not close, ladies and gentlemen. They're not they they desperately need to blow it up. Uh I'm not liking the future of this team. Like I said, I don't know if J D Pickerstaff's the injured as coach. I don't think the Cavs have any potential big am pieces they could move besides drummond who opted into a one year fire option. I don't know who's gonna want him except for the trade line maybe for a rental piece. Or Evan Love, you know he's getting older. Maybe a team like Portland would take him over Come out Anthony in his hometown. But that's that's the only thing I see, man. I think the Cavs have got to bore this thing up. I don't think they're great. And yeah, I think the Indians are the best state right now in Cleveland. Out of the Cleveland sports team I think it should go Indians, Browns, then Cavs by far. The Indians are the most well run organization. I mean, every year, Christian and and Mike Sharnoff have taken a point. Whether it's on Andrew Miller, Brad Ann, and M. Simber, Josh Donaldson, Reyes, Plegue, Logan Allen, every year the Indians seem to acquire somebody at the deadline. The Browns seem like they're starting to get together. Kevin keep works out. I think Andrew Berry's a really good general manager. They have the pieces. It's all on Baker Mayfield right now. The Cavs have absolutely no direction. Like, at least the Indians have direction. They go, okay, we're going to put all our resources into the starting pitching. We're going to find a basket cases in the outfield, and we're just going to try to make it work with the best manager in baseball, Terry Francona." And Terry, I hope you're staying healthy. The Browns, it's like... You know, Kevin Zavansky, We hope he's a good coach. We got the pieces. It's on Baker, Mayfield, but we think this team could be a playoff team. With the Cavs, it's like, ugh. Okay, we got Darius Garland. He's not that good yet. We got Colin Sexton. He's not that great yet. We got an aging Kevin Love. We got an aging Andre Drummond. Yeah, they're good, but they're not going to carry our team. And we got nothing else. We just got to get ball players. I think that's the thing the Cavs are going to do in this draft, guys. I think they're going to go over to the next part of Elmo and they're going to try to get ball players, and that's the way I see it. All right, so that was the Cleveland sports scene. Coming up next, we're going to take a little bit more of a break. When we come back, for those of you that play fantasy football, I'm going to be giving the top five, the top five, Fantasy rules for me for 2020 when I'm drafting my team. I already went through one draft a couple weeks ago back in August. I thought the draft went pretty well for me. And I learned some stuff during that draft about who's going high this year. Who you can get in lower rounds. What you should do for your fantasy football draft. Plus, in our last segment today, as I've been teasing, NFL over under for each division. You know, they came out. Uh, Vegas came out with the odds for every NFL team this season. They said, these are how many wins you're going to have, higher or lower. I'm going to pick 18, one for each division. I'm going to give you guys my best bet. If I was a betting man, this is what I would get. I already spoiled one today. With Luke Silk, I'm going to come back to that and explain it why. But yeah, my best bet's coming up in the final segment today, along with, as I said, coming up next, the top five fantasy rules. I have it right in front of me, right here on this sheet. Top five fantasy rules of 2020 for you drafting your fantasy football team. And again, I hope that we can all, you know, get rid of this season because of COVID and we can have fantasy football. Don't forget, guys, to be wearing your mask. Don't forget to be sanitizing everything like I do during every commercial break here. And we will be back on Brandon's World. Hey, ladies and welcome back here to Brandon's World. And we're starting things off. Here we go. The fantasy book uh up five rules this year. My first rule is, number one, draft running backs always. For those of you that play fantasy football every year, you know that usually in the first and second round, running backs fly at the board. But even more this year, it's going to be even more important this year to draft running backs early, especially in the first and second round. Let me tell you why. In the first round this year, what do we have? We have Christian McCaffrey, Saquon Barkley, Elvin Kamara, Ezekiel Elliott, Delvin Cook, and Derrick Henry. Those are the six of the top eight players taken in our draft. The other two are wide receivers Michael Thomas and DeAndre Hopkins. In round two, here you are know the running backs available to you. Aaron Jones, Nick Chubb, Miles Sanders, Austin Eckler, and Joe Mixon. Okay, Aaron Jones, really good. Nick Chubb, really good. I think Miles Sanders from my eagles is going to have an incredible season. Then you get to have Austin Eckler, and he's a good PPR back. I don't know how great of a standard back he's going to be this year. And Joe Mixon's a pretty good, reliable running back. But then you get to round three through five of running backs. So, again, these are the first two rounds of running backs. This is who you can get. You can get. Guys like, oh, hold on one second. You need guys like Christian McCaffrey, Saquon Barkley, Alvin Gamera, Ezekiel Elliott, Delvin Cook, uh, Derrick Henry, Aaron Jones, Nick Shaw, Miles Sanders, Austin Eckler, Joe Mixon. Those are the first two rounds of backs. After that, Josh Jacobs. Okay, he's pretty good. Round three, great back. After that, Todd Gurley. He's broken down. Devin Singledary in a timeshare in Buffalo, I don't know about him. David Johnson, he's broken down, don't know about him. Melvin Gordon in a timeshare with Philip Lindsay in Denver, I'm not sure about him. Le'Veon Bell, you know how much he struggled last year with the Jets, and the Jets are going to be even worse this year because they a terrible head coach and Adam Gase. Not excited about Le'Veon Bell. And Leonard Fournette, I think he's going to be a bust. He's always hurt. Jacksonville is going to be behind a lot. I think Gardner Minshew is going to be throwing the ball, which is why I like DJ Chart this year. But I don't know if I love Leonard Fournette. Now, just to tell you guys, my two running backs in my fantasy league this year are two people I don't love, Leonard Fournette and Devin Singletary. And why? Because I took a chance, and I went through, and I picked my wide receivers first. I went with Tyree Kale, I went with Corwin Sutton, and I went with Julio Jones. I have three really good wide receivers. I think it was a mistake. I really think it was a mistake on my end. You want to know why? Because my number two rule is wide receiver and quarterback depth this year are really large. You ready for the wide receivers that go in round six through eight. Are you ready for this? Odell Beckham, T.Y.O., Keenan Allen, Terry McCorn, D.J. Sharp, Deke A. Metcalf, Tyler Boyd, Stephon Diggs, Jarvis Landry, Devontae Parker, and Marquise Hollywood Brown. So out of those eight wide receivers, Odell should have, we hope he has, a bounce back here in Cleveland. We know him and Jarvis Landry are going to get a lot of the targets. We don't know how much we're going to see at Rashard Higgins and Cleveland and Saban'ski's two tight end offense, but we know for sure we are getting Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry. They're going to be fantasy relevant. At least Landry will, we hope. We know T.Y. Eldon with Philip burgers if he stays healthy, should have a pretty good year with the Colts. Keenan Allen, it usually doesn't matter what quarterback he's playing with for the Chargers, he's usually reliable. Terry McCord and D.J. Chark, we know their teams are going to stink. We know Washington doesn't have a great quarterback, and we know Jacksonville's quarterback is probably a stopgap quarterback in Gardner Minshew. But you know what? They're going to be the number one options. Tyler Boyd this year with A.J. Green supposedly back, and with E. Higgins in the mix in Cincinnati, you're hoping that takes a little bit more pressure off Tyler Boyd. I think Tyler Boyd could be a good option. For a Bengals offense that actually had some pretty good pieces when you're talking about fantasy in terms of Joe Burrow, Joe Nixon, you know, Green, uh T. Iggins, and now Boyd. Stephon Diggs, he's the number one receiver now in Buffalo. He should be getting the ball a lot. We saw what Cole Beasley and John Brown did last year. Diggs is way more talented than them. Devontae Parker, he's 100% the number one receiver in Miami. And whether it's the actor or George of throwing in the football, he's going to get targets. And then Hollywood Brown is one play away. One play away from a big day. That's all he needs is one catch. He's an i already kill one catch, you know, 60-yard touchdown, 13 points type of guy. So then you look at the wide receivers around 13-16, the last four rounds of the draft, 13, 14, 15, 16. You get Sterling Shepard, Golden State, and Darius Slayton from the Giants. All three of those guys. We don't know who's going to be the number one receiver on that team, but they can all produce. We saw Darius Slayton flash in the end of last season. Hello, Mikko We just mentioned a guy like Hollywood Brown. Nico Hardman, man, can fly. out. That's why? He's going to get opportunities for Kansas City. What about Mike Williams for the Chargers? We already right talked about Keenan Allen being the number one receiver. Even if it's error quarterback, man. Mike Williams, he may only have a two-catch, 20-yard game. But if he gets a touchdown, that's eight points. He's a decent flex option. And late in rounds could be a good guy to draft as a filler wide receiver. Robbie Anderson, speedster, Carolina, presumably going to be a target there. Then you got rookies: Justin Jefferson for the Vikings, Jerry Judy for the Broncos, and Jalen Rager for my Philadelphia Eagles. Jalen Rager, I think, will be the number one receiver by the end of the year for my football team. Justin Jefferson should get a lot of attention as Adam Thielen is going to be double teamed in Minnesota, and then Jerry Judy. With those great weapons in Denver with Corwin Sutton, Noah Fan, Phil Wensley, Malvin Gordon, Jerry Judy should have a big year. So again, late in rounds, receiver depth this year. Very big. You can probably find a starting wide receiver, always the flex guy that you can stash for a little bit later in rounds. Specifically with quarterbacks, rounds 10 through 16, so the last portion of the draft. You can get Tom Brady, Matt Ryan, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, Carson Wentz, Matthew Stafford, Ryan NL, and Drew Rock, who, again, should have a very big year with those weapons. I'm very excited what we get this year to Tom Brady. The best weapons in Tampa. I think Tom Brady's a very great fantasy quarterback. Matt Ryan, we know the Falcons have a lot of good offensive pieces. Matt Ryan's always been a pretty good fantasy quarterback. Josh Allen with his running adds value. I already talked about Joe Burrow. I have some good weapons in Cincinnati. He could be a streamer quarterback. Carson Wentz, we know he's always a good fantasy quarterback. Matthew Stafford puts him a lot of yards. Ryan, and we'll see how he doesn't see this year, but he could be a good streamer. And Drew Lock with those weapons could be the guy that you draft late in rounds that could end up being the steal of the draft, in my opinion. Keep an eye on Drew Locke. So again, quarterback's receiver death. my number two rule, don't rush on them. My third rule is, the tight end has more depth than usual. We know in the tight end, there's only a top three. You know, there's there's um, Chelsea, Kittle, Ertz. those are offering. operating. After that, you're like, eh. But look at this. In rounds five through eight this year, at tight end, you can get Ertz. You can get Rob Gronkowski. You can get Noah Fant. You can get Hunter Henry and, and Evan Engle. And all these guys are starters. Zaggerd, along with Dallas Goddard, and the Eagles' twelve personnel should have a big year this year. We know Gronk, along with Cameron Brate, is going to have a big year in Amber Bay. We oh, we know Brady has that great relationship with Gronk. I I'll go out and think Noah Fant could be the pop tight end this year in the NFL. You got Hunter Henry. He's always been reliable with the Chargers. And then you know Evan Engle. Freddie Kitchens is coaching him, so I don't know about that. But he's going to be the number one tight end with the Giants. And in the Rams 10-for-12, you can get Austin Over for the Plows. I already mentioned Gunnar Zemansky, two tight ends. He's going to get a lot of targets. Mike Gusecki, a great tight end, the number one option for the Dolphins. I think he's one of the most underrated tight ends in the league. And that's E.J. Ogerson, who's going to be the number one tight end for the Lions, excuse me, T.J. Ackerman, the number one for the Lions, I drew a point for a second. He's going to get those passes from Matthew Stafford, even though I don't think Detroit's going to be a good football team this year. It's not really matter about their records in fantasy. You can have all garbage players and garbage teams in fantasy because they're number one options, and you know they're going to produce. By the way, let's not forget about Mark Andrews in Baltimore, a great tight end. Or a guy like Darren Waller from the Raiders. So tight end is definitely valuable this year more than in the past. You can get more depth than usual. So let's recap. The first three, got to drop a running back in rounds one for three. You've got to get your running backs. You can drop receivers later on and quarterbacks. As well as tight end, there's more depth than usual. I mean, if you can't get the big two and, and you know, Kittle, Kelsey, Ernst is in round five, don't forget, again, runs five through eight, Urge, Quad, Noah Fan, Hunter Henry, Evan Ingram. There's more depth there than usual. All right, here's my number four rule. Very simply do not fill all your holes early. Draft depth before holes. What I mean by this, draft defense and special teams around 15, draft kicker around 16. You know, worry about best player available. If the best player available is a wide receiver, you already have four of them. Go for it because, as I said, later in the draft, you can get a quarterback. So, fill your desk before you fill holes. Basically, best player available, which leads me to my last point. Just let the board come to you. Don't judge like, about, oh my God, it's the 12th round and I don't have a quarterback. Now, all the quarterbacks are gone. It's one of those leagues that, yeah, you got to take a quarterback. But watch the board. If players start falling, then you know when to take somebody. If you see a lot of quarterbacks start falling, then take a quarterback in the range you think they're going to go. Again, don't rush for Carson Wentz in round six. If you see, no, okay, he could be there round 12 or round 13. That's where Carson Wentz, one of my draft, was round 13. So, you know, again, don't rush for quarterbacks. Don't rush for tight ends. Don't rush for receivers. The one position you got to rush for is running back. you got to go, I need a starting running back and I need one now. Mark Ingram and JK Dobbins are down there later in the draft, but they may be in a time sure We don't know how that's gonna work out. So that would be my one suggestion for a late round running back. But besides that, guys, yeah, really, you know, it's there's more depth than usual at quarterback receiver and tight end. You gotta drop a running back early. Don't throw all your holes and let the board come to you. It's really simple. You gotta pay attention to the board, you gotta draft your depth in Really, don't pay attention to your needs. Don't go, oh, I need a quarterback, or I need special teams, or I need a kicker. you got to go, oh, uh, you got to go, okay, I'm going to take running backs, then I'm going to take receivers, then I'm going to take quarterbacks. You can almost divide it into sections, like I'm going to get running back, receiver, tight end, quarterback, defense, and a kicker. I think if you do it by section, you'll be much more successful than going, okay, let me get a receiver, then a running back, then a tight end, then a quarterback, because you're deaf is not going to be good. Now, remember, the waiver wire, always use the waiver wire. Take advantage of it. Wake up a every Tuesday morning. Put in those claims. Because usually, if you don't get a good running back to start, the running back that you start with on like year, I had Evan Kamara and Leonard Fournette. They were both busts. By the end of the year, neither of them were starting for my team. Keep that in mind as well. Don't say, oh, I spent a high draft pick on this guy. If he's not performing, Bet Jim, go to waiver wire. Get somebody that's producing because you only have 13 weeks to make the playoffs. you got to win at least eight or nine of those games to get into the playoffs. Be aggressive. Make trades. Look early. If you say, I have a hole, make a trade early. Make projections and go with your gut and make your best bet. All right, coming up next. As I said, ladies and gentlemen, NFL over-unders. For each division, what's my best bet? NFL over-under. Best for last. Coming up, it's been a great show. We'll see you guys on the other side. Brands World. You guys are going to have to bear with me here uh, because of the fact that I have seen that watch my sheet uh, for some of the divisions. So with that being said, I'm going to go on my computer here. Again, this is my NFL over-under for the best division. Each division for this season, I'm going to pick a division. Excuse me. I'm going to pick a team from each division. I totally messed that up. I'm going to pick a team from each division. One team, so eight teams overall. I'm going to say they're over or under total, and whether I'm going with the over or with the under. So that being said, let's try to get the prime time music started, and let's get going. Here we go. So for the AFC East, you know what they I talked about it with Luke Selka. Earlier in the show, I'm the under with New England. They're listed at nine and a half wins. Again, under. So I'm predicting that they will get nine wins or under. To me, this is an easy one. I think week one, Miami, they win. After that, they'll lose to Seattle. That's one and one. And they'll beat Vegas at all. They're two and one to start the year. But after that, it's a downhill spiral. At Kansas City, I think that's a for sure L. Denver at home. I think that's 100 percent an L. I think Denver's gonna be a pro football team this year. I don't think New England has the capabilities to beat Denver even in New England. Later on, this is not the New England, which I'm Brady. This is a broken down New England with a bad football team. San Francisco at home, I don't think they can even beat San Francisco at home. I think that's another L. At Buffalo, I think that's an L as well. At the Jets, I think they can win. And then Oates and Baltimore had Houston. I think those are two Ls as well. See, you look at that for the first 10 games, they're 3-7. and seven. That means they have to run the table in order to get to nine wins. That means they're already one under. So here we go. Arizona Oh, I think that's an L. I think is going to be one of the most improved teams in the league this year. I don't think they'll be able to set the Chargers. Pass for us, that's another L. At the Rams, I'll give them that a win on the Thursday night. Because Belichick owns Sean McVay. They always serve in Miami in December of week 15, so I will take an L there. I think they'll to Buffalo. Oh, yes, I think Buffalo does sweep New England. I think New England does sweep the Jets. So I got New England at 5-11. I got them turning out 3-7 and seven and finishing 2-4 and four to end the season. But I think if this is a bad football team, I think they only win five games. The only games I can see them really flipping on the schedule, maybe Denver Hall. Maybe they beat Buffalo once. Maybe they beat Arizona um, or the Chargers, and that's really it. I don't see a way they get to nine and a half wins. I just don't see All right, I'm taking the over in the AFC West with the Denver Broncos. They're at eight. I'm easily taking the over. I think NFC is going to be a worse football team this year. I'll give Denver the W at home week one. That's a Monday night game, by the way. At Pittsburgh, I think they will take it out of there. West Coast going to East Coast. I think that will be hard for a young football team like Denver. Tampa Bay at all. I think they get after Brady, and then Brady's going to still start to win the playbook. I think Denver gets a win there. So they start off 2-1. Then I think of a the surprise. They go back to the East Coast at the Jets. I think that's an L. So they start off 2-2. Two two. But then you look at this schedule. Okay, you go at New England. They're getting the W, as I already mentioned. So, Old oh, Miami, they'll win there. So, are in the city. They win it all. So they got a five wins at their bye week going into week eight. They'll go to Atlanta. They'll beat Atlanta. Atlanta's not a very good football team. They'll lose at Vegas. They'll beat the Chargers and Saints at home. So already, you're looking at eight wins right there. I think that's a tough point to go into Denver for a do team with the Saints. I think they win their home game against the Chargers. That's eight games right there. I also have them winning at Carolina at home against Buffalo and at home against Vegas to give them 11-5. and five. I thought I got Denver 11 and five, Kansas City just barely squeaking them out of the AFC West Championship. I think Kansas City still wins it at 12 and four, but I got Denver easily the over at eight. Cincinnati, I have them easily under five and a half. Cincinnati under five and a half. I have them winning three games and then beating Johnsonville, Pittsburgh at home because they always fight Pittsburgh tough. And the Ravens week 17 when the Ravens rest because they already have an 0-1 team locked up. Those are their three wins to me. I've been losing the Browns twice. At Pittsburgh, Home against Baltimore. The entire NFC East. The Chargers, the Dolphins, the Titans, Colts, the Texans. That's it. You know, I could see them maybe being the Giants. And the Skins, but that would or excuse me the Washington football team, that would be five wins. Maybe that Baltimore game, maybe they lose at four, but I just don't see a way they get to six wins. So I'm taking the under there five and a half. Jaguars, this is an easy one as well. Taking the under as well, four and a half. I them going two and fourteen. They beat Detroit week six and Tennessee week fourteen on Thursday night football. That's it. Okay, they're, they're a bad football team. They're going to be competing for the number one pick. I have them at two wins. I have Cincinnati at three wins. Then Cincinnati and Detroit will be competing for the number one seed. So again, for the AFC, I have, the only over I have is Denver at eight. New England be under at nine and a half. Cincinnati be under at five and a half. And the Jaguars be under at four and a half. Let's go to the NFC. So here's my prediction. The Giants, six and a half, under. The Giants me have the second up his schedule in the NFL next to New England. Let's read it out. So, Pittsburgh, that's got to be an L in my opinion. At home, I think Pittsburgh's a better football team. Joe Judge, a rookie head coach. Mike Donaldson, a veteran head coach. I talked about this with Luke Silver earlier. I think coaching's going to be extremely important this season. So, I think Pittsburgh, they got to go to coast. I don't think they can win in Chicago. I don't think they can beat the Niners. I don't think they can beat the Rams. They haven't proven they can beat the Cowboys. So that starts off 0-5 right there. Washington at home I have them losing to because Washington needs a better team than the Giants. So that's 0-6. At Philadelphia, I have them losing because they can't beat my Eagles or the Cowboys. So that's 0-7. They can't beat Tampa Bay. They can't beat Washington. So they start 0-9 and and 0-10 when they lose to the Eagles at home. Again, I think they are going 0-6 in the division. That's just me. So you have ten losses right there. I think they start off with ten losses. So there's no way they can get to the over. I think there's an easy under. I think they can beat Cincinnati. I think they can beat Arizona. You know, Arizona only the East Coast or a trap game. I think there's the two games they win. I think they lose to Seattle. They lose to the Browns. Both at home. And yeah, I think the Giants have a tough schedule. I think they're a good football team, but their schedule is so tough. And Daniel Jones and Joe Judge are proven. I don't see how they win seven games. It's 8 the under 6 and a half. NFC West. To me, this is an easy one. Over for Seattle at 9. So I think they win at least 10. Atlanta, I think that's a win Week 1. Russell Wilson always plays well there. They're going to beat New England and Dallas. They always play well there. Going to Miami. I think they're better than Miami. That's a win. They're better than Minnesota. They always beat Minnesota. That's a win. So they start off 5-0. Now, at Arizona, I'll take the L on that. San Francisco at home, I think they win. At Buffalo, I think they lose. So they start off 6-2. and She's saying, okay, they only need to win four more games. That's the way. Well, at the Rams, listen, I think they're just better than the Rams. I think they'll win that game. They'll beat Arizona at home. They always beat the Eagles. And then they got the Giants and Jets. Right there, that's 11 wins. Giants and Jets at all, at Philadelphia, Arizona, at the Rams. I think mean, those are all winnable games. Those are at Washington, I think that's a winnable game. Rams at all is a winnable game. And San Sam Fran, they could lose that one. Most I see this team losing is three to four games. I think this is an easy schedule for the bottom or tonight, with the The Eagles are a good football team, but they always beat the Eagles. Giants, Jets, at Washington to me. Those are pretty much three or four easy wins right there. And again, out of the schedule to I mean, New England's an easy win. They always beat Minnesota and Dallas. They always beat the Eagles. They always beat the Rams. Like, this is a good schedule for Seattle. Easy over at nine. Lions, real quickly. NFC North, six and a half. I'm taking the under. The only game they're going to win is at all against the Washington football team in week 10. I think mean, they're the worst team in their division by far. They're going 0-6 in their division. They're not better than anybody in the AFC South. They're losing all four. They're not better than anybody in the NFC South. They're losing all four there. They're Washington and Arizona. I think that they split. wisdom is one of the hardest schedules in the week, as I mentioned. do they're better than the Tigers, Vikings, or Bears. they're better than the Texans, Titans, Colts, or Jags. Yeah, I think that's the one game Jacksonville could win. They're 0-4 against the NFC South as well. They got Matthew Stafford. That's about it. I'm sorry. the a bad football team. And finally, Carolina. I'm taking the under with them at 5 and a half. They, they. I only had them winning games at home against Chicago and Detroit. To make a long story short, because we are running out of time. So again, here we go. My old NFC predictions: Giants six and a half under, Seattle nine over, NFC North Detroit under, and NFC South Carolina under five and a half. So I would bet under the Panthers, under the Lions, over the Seahawks, under the Giants, under the Jaguars, under the Bengals. Over the Broncos and under New England. Six unders, two overs. I think they rate these teams way too high on what they're going to be. Who knows? I could be wrong. I'll see you guys next week when we celebrate the two-year anniversary of Brandon's World. Thank you guys for joining me today on the stream. We'll see you guys next Friday at 10 a.m.